0: This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. I remember
1: my thoughts when I was still in Iceland going to Africa. I just knew that such a big part of the world is living without electricity and running water. And I had no idea how that felt like. I mean, coming from Iceland, there's plenty of water and uh, and are probably the cheapest electricity in the world. And living in such, such comfort, uh, there was no way for me to, to try to imagine how it is. Um, so the only way to do it is actually to, to live a life like that for, for a longer period of time.
0: That was a clip from my interview today with Bjorn Paulsen, who talks a lot about getting out of his comfort zone, which is something we as travelers do have to do right? In order to leave our home countries to get out into the world, it takes a bit of a leap out of your comfort zone. And sometimes, even if you've been traveling for a while, you still find ways to get out of your comfort zone. One of those ways is by traveling to some of the world's most dangerous countries. Now, I know this is something you may not do, but what's wonderful about this interview is the seven tips that Bjorn shares, the seven expert tips on traveling dangerous countries are really amazing safety tips for any traveler. So definitely worth a listen. And also, if you are somebody who's not going to be traveling to some of these countries, you're like, nope, that's not me. Well, you get to hear what some of those experiences are like. I mean, Bjorn, he is hitchhiked through Iran and Pakistan. He's traveled around Afghanistan by himself. He used to study safari guiding. In fact, we talk a lot leading up to the seven tips about his life of travel. He's been nomadic for 12 years. How has he kept the traveling going for so long? We get into the balance you need to find when you live so many years on the road. Sometimes you need to stop and work and save money. And how do you kind of do that, but still leave yourself open to continue to travel? Why he abandoned his dream of becoming a safari guide in Africa after doing all the training. And that is something I want to touch on in this show as well. When do you abandon a dream? When do you give up something that you've invested your time and money in? It's a tough call. Let's talk about that today in this show. Also, what solo travel can teach you about yourself and so much more packed into this interview. Plus, I've got a shout-out to share Somebody in this community who sort of reconfigured their career in order to hit the road, to do the van life thing, and is now planning a global adventure, and I think this is a great way to do it. If you're in this certain spot in life, I'll share what that's all about, and much more happening right now, so buckle up, strap in, thanks for being here, and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel Podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. How are you, my friend? Sunny day here in Oslo, Norway, and an exciting day for me. I'll give you a quick personal update. Do you know what I'm doing today? Something I have dreamed about for a long time. And I mean a long time. Okay, here it is. After I am done recording this for you, I'm heading down to the police station, not in handcuffs, (laughs) mind you. I haven't been arrested. I'm heading down to the police station in Oslo to go get a photo for my passport. As a new dual citizen, I'm going to be picking up my Norwegian passport. Now, I know I already told you guys, and maybe you heard in a prior episode, that I just became... A dual citizen. I just became a citizen of Norway, and I'm originally from the U.S., so I'm a citizen there. This has been a longtime dream of mine. I just love to have the flexibility to travel, and it's just great to have options. And now I've been living in this country for many years, so I just feel more connected as a citizen. And although I have the letter, and it's official, there's something about getting the passport that makes it really official for me. And it doesn't totally feel official until I'm holding that passport in my hand. So I'm going out to the police station, going to get my picture taken. I've ordered it. I'm not sure if I get it right away or if they send it to me in the mail, but I will have a Norwegian passport soon. Took a while to get the appointment. And that is very exciting. So I just wanted to share that personal update. And now we've got a lot to cover on the show, as you heard at the top. I loved this interview because it's just that wonderful mix of stories, travel stories from places that I've never been. Maybe you've never been. Maybe we'll never go to. And I love hearing the -the on-the-ground experience from people who have been to some of these dangerous countries around the world. And not only that, some practical tips for us as travelers, no matter where you're going. These are fantastic tips to stay safe, to be taking care of yourself out there, to be smart. And there's a bonus tip in there all about money. You know, sometimes you end up having to carry a lot of cash with you. How do you manage money? when you go to some of these countries. You don't even have to go to some of the world's most dangerous countries to have challenges managing money. Some places only operate on cash and that can be scary as a traveler. You might be carrying $2,000 on you or something because you know you're going to be in this place for a couple months and they don't have ATMs. Uh, These things happen as travelers. When you start roaming the world, you might think, I'll never go to a place like that where they don't have ATMs, but... Hey, trust me, you can end up in some of these places it happens. So plenty for everybody here in this interview. Stick around on the back end. I do want to talk a little bit about when to abandon a dream. That is a tough, tough call, especially when you've invested time and money into it. Plus, I've got a shout out to somebody in this community who did something really smart, I think, to reconfigure their career in order to get out on the road, do the van life thing, and live that nomadic lifestyle. So you'll hear how she did it, why she did it, and maybe this is something you may consider, depending on your situation. Of course, I'll also leave you with a quote. And who knows what else when I turn this mic on and get going. (laughs) Anyway, it is time now to slip and slide into this interview Thanks for listening, and I will see you on the other side, my friend.
1: Yeah, we had a pretty, pretty good summer, so just been, uh, been planning the, the upcoming trips for, for next year.
0: Yeah, when you say a pretty good summer in Iceland, does that usually mean like a weather first, and then... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. The
1: weather is everything here, you know. Uh, we've had, had a record July. Uh, it's up to 28 some days, which is insane for Iceland. But in June, it was still snowing. So, like, we, we had, like, three, three days of snowing in June, but then we had, like, super hot July.
0: Well, yeah, because I find that living in Norway, when people say, oh, it's been a great summer... It's kind of the opposite. If I was back in the states, people would say that, and you'd be like, "Oh, yeah, what have you done?" And like, "Oh, I went here and I did this." It's it's not really, but when people say it here, maybe it's all of Scandinavia. I don't know. It's, it's like <laughs> what they mean is the weather's been good.
1: <laughs> like exactly, you know, that, that's priority number one. You know, we we can have such intense intense winter, so um, when when we finally get summer, it uh, it means everything.
0: <laughs> what part of Iceland are you from?
1: I'm from North Iceland. It's a, it's a small town called Akureyri. Um, actually, the second biggest city in Iceland, but uh, it's only a population of about 18,000 people. I was born in Sweden, actually, but then I moved here when I was uh, just two years old.
0: Okay. So I yeah. grew up here. You self-identify as Icelandic? Uh, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I,
1: I, m- I moved away when I was 20, so it was it was about 18 years that I lived here.
0: But are you living there now? Are you based there now? No, I'm.
1: I'm not based here. I just came here in beginning of June, and I'm leaving uh, in about three, four weeks.
0: Okay, yeah. and you're based nowhere or
1: somewhere? Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of based nowhere. Uh, yeah, I've been based pretty much nowhere for way too long now. <laughs> so um, yeah,
0: this is one of the only podcasts out there. I feel like where when somebody comes on and they say they're based nowhere, it's kind of like oh, okay, yeah. That makes sense
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to explain it to some people, but I'm, I guess you you're, you can understand
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure and and the listeners i mean it's well, the world's opening up more than ever, I think, for nomads, you know it, it used to be sort of a fringe thing, I feel, and now it's people Even even uh I would say people working regular jobs and things are are probably aware of. You know the fact that there are people out there running around and not living anywhere.
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely getting easier.
0: Yeah, I should give you a little introduction here, mm-hmm. right? I'm on with yeah. Bjorn Paulsen. Yeah, that's I'm not it. pronouncing that correctly, you're the founder of CrazyPuffin.com, and you guys are an adventure tour company that runs a lot of unusual tours. I'd say some of the more Well, I wouldn't even say, quote unquote, dangerous countries, but they they are dangerous countries uh, for a reason. I'll get into that a little bit later in the interview. I think you got some tips for us today on traveling through less uh, safe areas, I guess, which can apply to a lot of travelers. If you find yourself, you might not find yourself in some of these countries we talk about today. But, you know, I'm sure some of these tips can work for other places as well. You never know where you're going to end up passing through. So anyway, Bjorn, welcome to the Year to Travel podcast, my friend. Thank you, Jason. Good to be here. <laughs> Good to see you, mate. Are you a coffee guy or a tea guy or a nothing? Um, I think it kind of depends
1: on the season, really. You know, I've skipped coffee for the past six months or so, but I'm starting to getting back into coffee now. But uh, then I take my times with tea and I can be really into my teas at, at some point, but uh, kind of bouncing in between those two.
0: How would you describe the culture in Iceland?
1: are uh, definitely a coffee culture for sure. It's like the first thing people uh, offer you uh, when you when you come for a visit. It's a cup of coffee.
0: Again, the weather, a warm drink helps. Yeah, you know? yeah
1: exactly.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> the culture is uh, pretty similar to Scandinavian culture, I would say. We are friendly, but not friendly. You know, we we, we kind of have our uh, have our guards, and um, it can be hard to to get to know us, but. Um, when you get to know know the Icelanders, they I think they're pretty okay people.
0: <laughs> why why is that, do you think?
1: It's hard to say. And I kind of noticed it more and more when I started traveling and coming back that, you know, that the people are they're holding back and it's uh it's uh, it's hard to get to know people.
0: have you brought some of your attitude from traveling back into your own culture or do you kind of reconform right away? Just or I should say conform back to it, both. Uh, however you want to word it. But,
1: both. Yeah. I would say, um, because usually I just come here for a short visit. So when I come, um, I kind of just go back to my, my friends' group and I'm uh, not really much, uh, because when I'm here for such a short time, I don't really have, have time to, to, to mingle. I just try to, to visit the friends around the countries that I have and family. So yeah, probably go back to the sort of base that I, that I was.
0: What's it like growing up where you grew up? Because uh, I think a lot of people listening, unless somebody else is from your town, we don't know anything about the experience of growing up in... How do you pronounce your city again? Akureli. <laughs> Akureli?
1: Akureli,
0: yeah. Akureli. Yeah, pretty good. Okay. Uh, mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's the experience like growing up there? It was
1: It was amazing for me. Uh, I would say, first, it was it's freedom, you know? It's so much freedom because it's a small city. It's not dangerous at all. You can just be outside as long as you can and um, the parents they don't really have to worry about the kids so when growing up here it was uh yeah i felt felt a lot of freedom and the summers are are really nice you know it's that we got um 24 hour daylight but then again the winters are pretty harsh and we get november december january they're pretty dark months and um yeah that's just something you get get used to but then uh springtime you kind of get energy back and uh, get back into into doing some exciting things
0: i guess when you're a kid too it's like you don't Well, did you travel a lot with your family or were you guys I did.
1: yeah we did go to the u.s quite often so my, my dad has connections to the u.s so from the age of six i would say um we started going to the u.s every year or every second year and then of course to scandinavia went a lot to denmark what were you doing
0: in the U.S when you were there?
1: Uh, my dad, he was an exchange student when he, back in the '70s, and he has kept contact with his family there ever since, so he, he goes every year. So when I was a kid, we used to go take our vacation to, to Pennsylvania.
0: Pennsylvania, that's yeah. where I'm from.: Really? Yeah, Which part? Uh, it's close to Hanover.: Hanover. Hanover. Yeah. yeah.
1: They, well, they make the, the chips. They're famous for, for making the potato chips there
0: the Uts? is that where the ots uh, yeah i think yes. so yeah 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 i think that's it okay yeah so that's not too far from yeah i'm i'm looking at the map now actually yeah you're so it's like yeah you could almost say i mean i don't know what the town's like but you could say it's sort of rural pennsylvania yeah
1: they live, they live on so the
0: rural pennsylvania when you were growing up yeah <laughs> What was that like coming from where you came from? Uh,
1: that was amazing. I remember the first time I went to American supermarkets. You know, I went to the cereal aisle, and I would just see all these different cereals. You know, here in Iceland we had, you know, maybe three different. <laughs> so it was pretty intense being so young and uh, going to America, and see that was that was probably the first culture shock I ever had going to America at, at this age. But it was it was very exciting always going to to the, to the states. And then it took me to. They took me to New York when I was maybe nine or 10. And uh, that, that was also super exciting as a, as a young kid.
0: What was more exciting, New York, or the fact that there's like 10 different kinds of chocolate cereal?
1: Chocolate cereal,
0: 100%. Who had the biggest influence on you growing up?
1: Travel-wise, um, I have older siblings, and they all went abroad very, as soon as they finished school. So I was like seven years old when my brother moved out and then I was maybe eight or nine when my sister moved out and they did a bit of traveling. So when I saw a photo of them traveling and I was so young, I just thought it was so exciting. I would say that's my first sort of inspiration of, of traveling, just uh, seeing my first traveling myself with my parents and then seeing my, my, my siblings going abroad and uh I just knew it at that time that I wanted to go abroad as soon as I would finish finish school here in Iceland. That, that's the first thing I did.
0: So, I mean, yeah, your dad was an exchange student. You guys obviously have a positive association with... He kept in touch with his family enough where you guys are going to visit them, and it's part of your growing up. So there's some positivity around cultural exchange there, I think. And then it sounds like the collective experience of just... Uh, seeing the pictures from your siblings and and it's almost like in your house, it sounds like it was a perfectly acceptable normal thing to do to kind of go abroad and disappear and come back.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean the first time, uh, so my brother, he also went as an exchange student in 96 and then I'm like five, six years old and uh, he went to Puerto Rico for, for one year. And then my sister went to Italy for one year and this is, uh, before they move away. So there was, they were always, leaving and coming back, leaving and coming back. And I would always see some photos. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I dreamt of this this life just since I was a very young Is kid. Is that
0: part of the culture in Iceland? Because it's got a smaller population. It's an island, so you're kind of, in a way, separate. You can't just drive a car over to another country or something like that. Is it sort of accepted in common that people will leave to go check out other things is travel and the culture in that way.
1: Yeah, I would say so. And especially before, um, we had the economic collapse back in 2008, uh, the economy here was really good and, uh, everyone would take vacation at least two times a year and it was very common for people to, to travel a lot. And just from the people that I went to school with a lot of them, they, they took a gap year. There was so many people that just went to Africa, went to Asia for a year. Did either some sort of uh, learning a new language or volunteer or whatever. And th- that was pretty common for people after, after, um, after school to just take a gap year before they came back for university.
2: Mm.
0: What was it like living through that economic collapse?
1: It was weird times. Yeah, it, was, it, it happened so quickly. I mean, the, the Icelandic krona. Uh, became, you know, totally worthless.
0: Yeah, I mean, what's that like? Like you have money saved up and you're whatever, and then all of a sudden it's just worth nothing? Yeah, or, and what, what do you do?
1: People, the, the, the people they that had loans, they had taken loans in foreign currencies. They took loans in euros. And, uh, and then suddenly they had to pay back in euros, and the Icelandic krona was so bad. So if they had a, a debt of 10 million Icelandic crowns, suddenly it was 25 million Icelandic crowns. What do you do? Yeah, exactly. So it was, it was tough few years, um, but it happens in, in late 2008. Um, so I remember 2009, it was the only thing people talked about in the, uh, in, in the country. And, uh, but then I left early 2010, so I was not really a part of um, uh, the community for, for so long
0: you're like, I'm out of (laughs) here. Forget this economic collapse thing. I'm just going (laughs) to disappear for 12 years and going. Well, I mean, you said you've been traveling full-time for around 12 years, or at least pretty much full-time. I I wanted to hear how that started for you. Did that start as a gap year type of situation that just kept getting extended? Or was the plan to just have an open-ended trip? Like, How did the whole nomad thing start for you?
1: So it started that uh, I had planned to leave as, as soon as I would finish, finish college. And um, I got really obsessed with, with Africa and I really wanted to, to live in like a rural place in Africa. And I wanted to see how it was to live with no electricity and no running water. And I just wanted to do that for a year just to see, see how it was. And um, I managed to find a school in, um, in the western part of Kenya that I was living like, It was uh, in a rural part of Kenya, no electricity, no no running water. And uh, I started teaching there. And I did that for one year. And uh, during that year, I uh, had the chance to travel a lot in Africa. And I managed to visit around 14, 15 countries in that year. And that's when the the travel bug really hit me, you know. It was just after this year, I just thought, okay, how can I do this forever? Like, How can I support myself? And But before I left, it, it was so, sort of open-ended. I did not intend to, to come back to Iceland. I didn't have a ticket back. So uh, when my year was ending in, in Kenya, I remember I was completely broke, had no money, and I just wanted to continue to travel. So uh, I remember I applied for a job in every part of the world. I even applied in Antarctica. I applied in every continent on the planet. And uh, eventually I went to Denmark um, my sister was living there, so I made a deal with her. I could live with her for one month until I would find a job and find an apartment. And I stayed with her for for a month and um, started working in, in Copenhagen. And then I uh, found another job in Norway, started working in Norway. Then I found another job in Austria, up in the Alps. And um, then I had enough money to, to, to go back to Africa because I had I was really obsessed with, um, safari guiding and I really wanted to, uh, to learn to become a safari guide. So eventually I found a school there and, uh, I was saving up money to, to, to do that. And then it kind of just escalated from, from, from there. And, uh, just after the school, I continued travel, found some work, continued travel.
0: Let's take a brief pause. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by U S bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at nissanusa.com. Now let's get back to the show. What were the jobs you were doing leading up to the safari guiding? You said you had a job here and there, in Norway, Denmark. What were you just working? Like, what were you doing?
1: Um, chef cooking. Yeah. Okay. So when I was here in Iceland in, in college, I, um, I was always working part-time as a chef. So I had some base uh, in, in working in hotels and cooking. So when I needed a job, I always uh just applied to to work in kitchen. And then when you worked in so many restaurants, it just becomes easier and easier. And uh eventually when you have thirty restaurants on your CV, it's um it's really easy to 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 find a job really anywhere.
0: And were you getting temporary like I know you're with your sister for that first month, but then when you were getting these other jobs, were you just getting temporary apartments or were you signing year-long leases? I'm just curious, you know, because that's a bit of a factor too. I think like there's this balance right you want to take off and travel again you don't want to accumulate too much stuff or too have too much responsibility you know cuz if you get too set up somewhere next thing you know you might be in the you know working in the kitchen 5 years later and you're not doing the things you want to do in africa or wherever but at the same time you kind of want to be in that community and be a part of it i'm just wondering how did you manage that process for yourself
1: yeah. So I always traveled super light and I kind of, my aim uh, was always seven kilos, not to go over seven kilos. Sometimes would oh, Okay. So you had
0: like a specific number.
1: Yeah. I, I just felt when it reached over 10, then it was just too much, too heavy. Um, and apartment wise, I, I always found, a, in the beginning, I always found a room to rent. So I would just f- find a room so I didn't have to sign any long lease. It was maybe maximum one month notice I would have to give. Sometime I would be in a place where new people, um, where I could crash on the sofa for for a couple of months while I I was just working. Um, My limit was usually around three months. I would go somewhere, work for three months, and uh, then I would have enough money to travel for approximately 10 or 11 months, sometime over a year.
0: Yeah. Okay. But this first time when you are working in these few countries, how long, how long were you working before you went down to study the safari guiding? Was it a year, a few months? or?
1: Uh, no, that was a bit longer because when I come back from Africa, I was, I was really broke. And um, I had I borrowed some, some money from my parents to, to stay in Africa that first year. I was, I was only 20 years old. So that was about, um, in total, one and a half year maybe. So that's between uh, Denmark, Norway, and Austria when I was working
0: I just wanted to bring that up because I I just admire the dedication to travel to the vision you know I think it's a really important when you have a vision of yourself traveling or being in the world in the way that you did you might look at oh well I've been working in these restaurants for a year and a half or whatever but like in the long term I mean you've been traveling full time for 12 years but that was a necessary year and a half to live in some place like you might not always be able to just be endlessly traveling around because the money thing's real but you were still committed to kind of a life on the road you know everything you did was geared around that you were having these experiences in these countries working these jobs but you like you said you weren't accumulating a lot of stuff you were like you know making sure you rented places where you were able to kind of easily break out of that i mean all of these things are I think pretty essential to your nomadic journey. I, don't, I just don't want to gloss over them because they sound like small logistical things, but they're actually, these are the practical things that you need to do sometimes to create a life of travel, right?
1: Absolutely, and if I would have accum- accumulated more stuff in, the, in this one and a half year, then uh, um, I would have been spending more money. And uh, it was uh, every day, every week, every month, I was uh, just trying to save more money for the school in South Africa because that school was actually really expensive. So um, that's why it took me so long time to um, to to go back to, to to Africa because the school was actually pretty expensive. But yeah, um, but after after a few months in in Denmark, I still felt felt the need of of changing. So that's when I found the the job in in Norway, and I think I was only in Norway for maybe two and a half months before I went to to Austria, and I was there maybe four months.
0: Just because you're from Iceland and that's considered Scandinavia, I guess it's not like. Denmark and Norway and all these places, there's still other countries to explore, right? So you're still traveling in a sense, living abroad. And I mean, you might be more familiar with some of the cultural aspects, but it's still an experience abroad, right? I mean, I guess you're working with locals and things like that, but was it hard balancing sort of enjoying your life where it was and saving money? Because you could, if you're just saving, saving, you never do anything, you're also not able to sort of check out some of the places and things in the here and now, right? It's a bit of a balance.
1: No, it's, it's a great question because that, that's, the, that's the key of life. You have to balance everything. And it's super important that even if you are saving money and if you dedicate to something, you have to enjoy the moment. And you, you have to remember to, uh, uh, why, why you're there. Even though I was trying to save as much as I could, I would still go to the pubs with my friends every now and then. And uh, I would, uh, When you're working in a kitchen, you're always in, uh, in a good crew and uh, it's easy to meet people. And you make make friends right away from uh, from the first day at work, so uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I could definitely balance to to have some fun and and save money, and it's something that you just become good up later. You know, it's it's very hard in the beginning. You know, it's super hard to to try to save money for something as, as while well you you want to have fun, but then it just kind of uh, it becomes automatic when you when you've been doing mm-hmm. it for so long.
0: Yeah, cool. Talk about the the experience studying safari guiding, you mentioned it was a school you had to pay for. What was, what were you doing? It was in South Africa, it sounds like. From yeah. The email.
1: So yeah. it was a, it was a school in South Africa. It's called uh Bajan nature training. And, um, it was in KwaZulu Natal. And, uh, it was close to a national park called Louis, And, uh, that's, uh, where we took most of our safaris. We based out a few other different, um, national parks, but, uh, we stayed in a camp, slept in tents and uh, the school was yeah kind of just in in the bush so a normal day we would wake up um do some birding we would walk around uh, identify birds then it would be classes i mean we had to learn botany we had to learn taxonomy we had to learn uh about spiders scorpions mammals amphibians uh, the weather everything really and um we had some really good teachers there and it was super interesting um Interesting uh, education after I finished my education there. I was still so hooked on uh, on traveling. So I remember um, I went back to Kenya and uh, applied for some some jobs as a safari guide But then I realized uh, it would if I would work there for, uh, for a year as a safari guide it would take me half a month in Norway to earn the same money. So I decided to like uh, uh, just use the money I had continue to travel and I do those quick trips here and there to, to 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 earn my money because as much as I wanted to work as a safari guide, I was just still so keen on continue to explore new places.
0: <laughs> so you went to get the what do you get a degree or some kind of certificate after that? Yeah. So you can guide safaris in Africa, but then you're like, but I'm not going to go do that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> right the the School it was fun. Uh, great memories from the school. Actually, it made good friends.
0: Yeah. You know, we didn't talk too much about your original trip down there, the sort of the average traveler, like maybe the, not the guests on the podcast or maybe people listening to this, but sort of the average traveler out there, you know, I want to make sure it has a king size bed. And then, you know, I have air conditioning and like all these things, your checklist was like the opposite of that. Like, do you guys have no electricity? Do you guys have no running water? Okay, great. I'm there. You know, it's like the polar opposite. Is that coming out of a place for wanting to get uncomfortable?
1: uh in a way and i just wanted to especially in the beginning in my early 20s i really wanted to live as um i, I wanted it to be hard you know i wanted to see how it uh, was to have a you know li- li- live a tough life and um especially when why I, why um i remember my thoughts when i was still in iceland going to africa um uh, i just knew that such a big part of the world is living without electricity and running water and i had no idea how that felt like i mean Coming from Iceland, there's plenty of water and uh, and probably the cheapest electricity in the world. And living in such such comfort, uh, there was no way for me to to try to imagine how it is. Um, so the only way to do it is actually to to live a life like that for for a longer period of time.
0: And once you do that, in comparison, certain other modes of travel is a lot easier. <laughs> after- yeah. Yeah, but but, uh, but
1: believe me, electricity is the best thing in the world. You know, <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, definitely running water and electricity is uh, yeah. is, is a comfort that uh, I wouldn't want to skip nowadays.
0: No, well, you know, when I was doing a bit of research before chatting with you, I went and looked up the most dangerous countries in the world, and so you have this uh, famous. Uh, Report called the Global Peace Index that comes out every year. It measures, quote unquote, yeah how dangerous or safe a nation is based on 23 different indicators, including political terror, deaths from internal conflict and murder rate. So it was interesting when I looked this up because I actually took a screenshot of it because on Google, the first thing they show you is the Global Peace Index 2021 ranking. Number one, most peaceful country in the world, Iceland. All right. (laughs) And then below, right below, because I looked up most dangerous countries in the world. uh, It was number one, Afghanistan, Syria, and South Sudan. Two of those three, which you were planning trips to, I mean, before everything was going on. At the time of this recording, there's stuff going on in Afghanistan now, so that had to get canceled. I just found this juxtaposition fascinating because you know, you are leaving a place that like many of these people in these other places would dream of going to live and be and creating a life, not because they want to leave their countries, but because, you know, when there's war and things like that, you want a peaceful situation for your family. You know, you'd rather have that be in your own country. But I mean, I just know being alongside some refugees here in my Norwegian class, it's heartbreaking because I'm here by choice because my, my wife's Norwegian and I moved here, but You know, a lot of these folks in my class from Syria, I mean, they just had to get out of a war torn nation. They would rather be at home, you know, with their family living their lives and not having their businesses and their cars destroyed and their lives destroyed, uh, people and their families killed and terrible things. I mean, this isn't a political podcast, so we don't need to go too far on that rant. But I just found it interesting that you're leaving the number one peaceful country in the world. To not just travel through these places, and I want to talk about that, but then also take trips through there and take other people through there and things like that. Why do you want to go to the most dangerous countries in the world? What, what is it about it that appeals to um,
1: you? Yeah. Yes, what is it about it? Um, for example, if you take the, those two countries that you mentioned, uh, Syria and Afghanistan. I've never, I haven't been to Syria myself, but I've been dying to go there even be, since, since before the w- war broke out. I remember I had started traveling when I met people uh, that were just coming from Syria from uh, from a travel trip and they just talked about how amazing this place was I remember there was one um, Canadian blog that I, I met in Zanzibar and he just came from Syria and he was going to have like a four-month trip around the Middle East and he, he spent three months in Syria he just couldn't get out of it he was it was so amazing and ever since that I've, I've been dying to go go back without know, go, going to Syria um, with Afghanistan I um, it's, it's hard to say what it is I, I went there in 2015 and uh, I mean I, it was terrifying it was it was very very scary but um still I, I thought I'd, I had to do it I I, um, I remember I was in in Kazakhstan to to fix my visa to to get to uh, to Afghanistan and then I eventually go to Uzbekistan and I cross the border from Uzbekistan I, I walk across the bridge from uh, from Uzbekistan to to Afghanistan and from there into al Sharif and I met some amazing people. Um, there were some incidents along the way, um, but still, I, I don't regret going there. And I have always wanted to go back there And because at that time, it was much more peaceful than it is now. And even just a month ago or two months ago, it was, it was uh, fine to visit. And uh, I've been working with uh, tour operators in Afghanistan that were helping me to... To construct the, those trips that I'm offering uh, from a company, Crazy Puffin, and um, just one and a half month ago, we were talking about like there was nothing more normal than uh, we were we were going to to do this journey from Kabul into Bamiyan Mountains and uh, and from there into Panjir Valley, which is all now falling into Taliban since uh, just two days ago.
0: Well, you mentioned some incidents along the way. I mean, what what are some of the incidents that you've
1: uh, when I was in Masir Al sarif which was at that time considered the the safest place in Afghanistan, so actually I went into the the embassy in Afghanistan or the, the Afghan embassy in uh, Kazakhstan to to talk to them, and they told me that Masir Al sarif was the, the safest place, and I went to like go there, and um, but there, there was a bombing and shootout happening between Taliban's and um, and the armed force, and the shootout was going on for about five hours, so. That's probably the most terrifying moment I've had in my life. So uh, that's when I was just um, hiding in um, my, my hotel hotel room. I uh, didn't go out the, the whole day. I could just follow it from, from the window. So uh, that, that well, was You could crazy. see people
0: outside shooting at each other type of thing? I, I
1: didn't see the shooting itself, but the, the running around, the, the armed, armed police uh, driving. I could hear the shooting and yeah. just the, the chaos.
0: You did some hitchhiking through Iran and Pakistan. Can you talk about... Your experience traveling through those countries?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was pretty interesting. Both Iran and and Pakistan. I uh, I was one month in in each country, and I don't think I spent more than four hundred dollars for for each country for for a whole month, um, because I only used the transportation of, of hitchhiking. So in Iran, I started in um, in Tehran, and I traveled all the way south to to Bandar Abbas. Um, and that was really interesting uh, mostly truck drivers they would they would uh, pick me up and uh, none of them would speak English but they were they were super friendly uh, everyone would give me tea give me something to eat and no one would actually ask me for for, for any any money and uh, then I wanted to to go from Iran to Pakistan but again I talked to the uh, pakistani embassy and uh, they told me it was not safe so from Iran, I actually flew to Dubai, and from Dubai, I went to, to Karachi. And uh, from Karachi, I, I I go up to Lahore, and into Islamabad, and all the way up to the north, close to the border of China. And I was doing some trekking there, hiking up some glaciers. When I was in Karachi, the people in, in Karachi, the local people, they would tell me, don't go up north, it's so dangerous, uh, don't, don't dream about it. And then when I'm up north, People would say, like you're so crazy being in Karachi. It's like they they have completely different view of their, their own country.
0: I mean, I've just heard about so much hospitality in that area. I haven't had the pleasure of traveling through that area, but everybody says that's like you said, I mean, people are inviting you in for tea and taking you in for meals. And it sounds like hitchhiking around that region was pretty fairly simple. I don't know if it's illegal to hitchhike or not. Is it uh, in those countries, I'm not sure. No, I
1: don't think so, because especially in Iran, there were so many uh, police checkpoints, and uh, they would always see me with uh, random truck drivers or random people, and the uh, police never said anything. Uh, so even the police was the friendliest. It was, so, it was so amazing traveling in Iran.
0: Talk about some of the human connections you made on those trips, like some of the more memorable connections you made.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, th- I think the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, when I came to al Sharif. There was this uh, man called Samir. He he greeted me when I got to uh, got to Sharif, and uh, he took me around, showed me showed me the whole city. He took me to uh, to a tailor so he could could get my own local clothing, and uh, yeah. he would take me to to restaurant, meet other people, meet other uh, Afghani people. And um then he was the one who actually called me when I was in the hotel and he said just don't leave the hotel because uh there is a uh, bombing happened just one hundred and fifty meters outside your hotel. So I stayed in that day and uh then the next day he would he would take me around, he would go with me swimming and uh and then he would drive me to the the bus. I took a bus to Kabul from Masir sharif and uh and there was no way I could pay for anything myself. And even in the the last day when I, I I forced him to take my money to pay for the bus, and he took the money, paid for the bus, and uh, then he put me, uh, took me into the into the bus. And when I'd sit down, he took the money I'd already given him, put it in my pocket, and walked away. It was just he could not take my money. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Mm.
2: Um.
0: You came with some tips, right?
1: I did. Yeah
0: maybe we can get into those uh, i asked you for 7 tips for traveling in dangerous countries it sounds like a clickbaity headline yeah right? but i didn't really know how else to frame it because you know you have a lot of experience and you're also planning trips through some of these regions and you know there's a subset of people that not everybody wants to travel to countries that are ranked you know at the bottom of the global peace index or the highest of the most dangerous countries whatever way you want to put it but on the same token, I thought, well, you know some of these tips I imagine do apply to you know any travelers situations can happen anywhere, right at any time. These types of hip- tips are always helpful so yeah, and know.
1: I totally understand people that that don't want to take a trip like this, but uh, the, the market is is bigger than you you, you would think. Uh, for example, the the tour company I was in, in contact with in Afghanistan, they were doing lots of tour earlier this year and even just up to like two months ago, they were they were doing many, many tours in, in Afghanistan. So there's a, there a lot of people that actually um, do want to have this experience. But uh, yes, yeah, seven seven pro trips for traveling in dangerous countries. I would say number one is um, do research on a place before you go. I think it's super important uh, if you're going to a place that is, uh, especially if it's highly dangerous, it can change in a very short time. Don't read an article that is one year old or two years old, because you have to get the most updated news, and uh, uh, yeah, just the most updated facts about how the situation is now and in, in what area. Like know which places you can go to and which place you cannot go to. For example, when I went into the the Afghan embassy in in Kazakhstan, they asked me where I wanted to go, and I I, I told them. And they just said, no way, you, you should not go there. And the, these are way cl- close to the Taliban region. And then they told me where I could go. So um, just make sure that uh, you have uh, updated news about uh, places you're going to. And number two, which is probably the most important, and just for everyone that, that travels in general, is just go with your instinct. I think... Um, if you are in a scenario that just doesn't feel right, it's probably because it's not right, and um, it just it just says a lot. And uh, if you just listen to yourself, listen to your gut, and uh, it's it's usually right. Just uh, go go with your instinct. And uh, if 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 you feel that you're not trusting someone, then uh, just yeah, l- l- listen listen to your gut.
0: Has your instinct saved you before from some situation? Um,
1: I'm, getting, I'm getting better at listening to my, to my instinct. I remember one time when I was hitchhiking in, in Pakistan, um, I was way up north and I was area where there was not so many people. And there was one car who could only drop me to, to certain certain area. And um, then I was waiting there for another car and I've been waiting probably for one and a half, two hours and it was really hot. And then suddenly there's a car that comes and he stops for me. And as soon as I open the door, there's these four young guys. Um, they're all drinking while driving. And uh, I enter the car. And then the first thing they, they ask me, they offer me is uh, if I ever want a cocaine. And I, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. And uh, then they continue drinking. We, we carry on. They tell me they're going to, um, to China. And I asked them what they're doing in China. They just say, oh, well, we have a business business in China." So it was kind of obvious they were smuggling some some drugs across the border. And uh, yeah, that felt really uncomfortable. And um, when I had the chance, um, there was election on that day, so there was a lot of people on the street. So when we passed one small town, they kind of had to uh, they kind of had to stop the car because there were so many people on the road. And then I just bailed. I just jumped, jumped out of the car. And uh, you didn't say
0: anything? You just opened the door and left? I, I
1: told them that I was gonna stay the night there. I was like, I'm just gonna just sleep here. And I just, just left. And they, they actually uh, stopped the car and uh, asked me to get back into the car. And I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna sleep here. And uh, they, they really wanted me to, to get back into the car. And I remember, uh, and I, because there was no hotel in that place. There was no place for me to stay. So I actually had to find another ride to, to continue. And uh, it took me maybe 20 minutes to, to find another ride. And uh, so I got into uh, another car. And as soon as we start driving, I see that they had been waiting for me on the site. So we, we drove maybe three, four minutes and then they, they, they were there still waiting. And, uh, but we just carry on driving and uh, eventually they pass and just I never saw them again.
0: Oh man, that's scary.
1: Yeah. So, uh, what do they? What
0: do you think they wanted? They wanted you to do something. I imagine they wanted you a part of this. I, I, I
1: can imagine that because they they were crossing the border and uh, we were going the, the same direction and uh, it was obvious. I mean, they're crossing the border. Like, You're
0: going to carry this across the border.
1: Exactly. I I could <laughs> no end really it really badly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I just knew that I want I want nothing to do with it and uh, nothing. I didn't want to be in the car. So when I had the chance, I I bailed. And I remember like the driver, at one point we've been driving for maybe half an hour, he stops the car and says, "Like I'm too drunk to drive, can somebody else drive? And then the guy who was sitting next to me, he was equally as drunk, he gets into the car and starts driving. So I was, uh, I was very happy when I could exit the car.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> instinct. <laughs> yeah,
1: instinct. Yeah, very important, very important.
0: Yeah, but that's hard. You know, there's nobody around too. Yeah, they... yeah. Well, it's not for everybody to be hitchhiking in the middle of nowhere like that.
1: I mean, I would say 98% of my experience hitchhiking has been fantastic, but of course there is always, you can always have a, have a scenario and, um, I, I do recommend it for people who, who are excited about it and want to try it, but of course it's, it's, it's not for everyone. Number three, I would say when you are in, in a place that is uh, considered pretty dangerous, uh, keep a low profile. Um, if you have the chance to, to dress locally, do so, or dress in a similar way as the, as the locals do. Um, don't have any sort of patterns in your behavior. Like, don't stay at the same hotel for too long. Try to um, switch around. Um, don't walk the same streets day after day, so they can people can pick up uh, a pattern. Same goes out with restaurants. Uh, um, don't go to the same place over and over again. So if if you're in a place that uh, um, has a kidnapped in the in 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 their history, and you just want to be able to keep low profile, and I think that's uh, it's really good to do when you're solo travel. You don't have to be in a in a in a car with a bulletproof glass that uh, everyone will see. You can just blend in. You know, it's easier to to blend in when you're solo travel. You just Stay in hotel here for one or two nights, go to another one. Uh dress locally. It's uh it's it's easier. And just don't flash your your electronics, don't flash your camera. It's alright to take photos and uh but just find finding the right moments.
0: Yeah. And we should should of course mention you're obviously you're speaking from the male perspective, right? I mean, oh, it's, Yeah, uh, of
1: course. That's the that's the only Perspective that I can speak for. I, uh, I've never traveled as a female, so it's uh, it's very helpful me to 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 give any any tip for, for, for them. But of course, uh, there, there, there will there will be differences. But I mean, I
0: think keeping a low profile, dressing in the local clothes. I mean, these are all things that can be applicable, of course, um, to any gender. So yeah,
1: don't make any 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 pattern on your uh, on your on your movement.
0: That's to avoid kidnapping, huh?
1: Yes, I would say so. Yeah, uh, because they they still happen they, in uh, in North Africa and in, in, in Afghanistan and in Pakistan. It still it still happens.
0: Do you have a, a worst case scenario plan in place? Like if that happens, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z.
1: To be honest, this is what terrifies me the most: being kidnapped. So I don't have any sort of plans if if I get kidnapped. I. The, that that, I'm I'm, I'm a lot more afraid of kidnapping than, than anything else. So for me finding a way to, to eliminate that or, uh, or being able to, to plant in, so to eliminate the risk, that's uh, that's very important when you are in places, in places that are, are dangerous and known for, for kidnapping.
0: All right. Number four,
1: number four, I would say, uh, what is going to be very helpful is make contacts on the ground before you visit. If you can find some sort of contact, um, you can use. I always use Couchsurfing, for example. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of more travel apps nowadays that you you could use. But uh, I was always using Couchsurfing. Then I would find find people on the ground, and they can help you to tell you more about the, the situation in the country, where, where to go. So it's good to have update from locals on the ground before you visit, and someone that can actually meet you when you when you're finally there it makes it makes it a lot more easier uh more comfort and uh, more, more secure so and if you can find someone to host you that's that's even better it's uh brilliant to be able to to stay with locals so um yeah number four it's uh i, I think that, that helped me a lot um and you could see the the, the places in uh in sort of different ways and uh yeah you just feel feel more secure when you're knowing that uh, when you get there you at least have someone to talk to
0: for sure all right number five
1: number five um notify someone like um what i've been doing is uh notifying my embassy or like iceland usually doesn't have any embassies around the world so there's some uh some country that represent Iceland. So either I would have to talk to the Norwegian embassy, the Swedish embassy or the Danish
0: embassy. When you get to a country, you say, Hey, I'm here. This is my plan. Uh, it's just send an email,
1: just send email say, uh, I'm, for example, if you're going into Afghanistan, um, I'll, I'm going in on this date, I'm going out on this date. I will notify you when I've left the country again. So they know if, um, if they don't get email from me when, uh, on, the, on the date that, I uh, attended to, to leave that, um, they can do research about if I, if I'm lost or something like that. So, uh, and notify friends or family. Um, I skipped the family part because I didn't want to worry my mom most of the time. Uh, so. I was going to
0: ask what your mom thinks of all this traveling you're doing.
1: I mean, of, of course it can be super worried. So when I'm, when I'm going to dangerous countries, I don't tell her until afterwards. I tell her like, I'm back from this place. Or, or last week I was there and uh, she
0: just is <laughs> <laughs> better,
1: better, better for the parents, you know, just to be able to, to breathe. And don't worry while I'm actually on the, on the journey itself. So I skip, I don't let any, any family members know when I'm in a, in a very dangerous country, but I do notify some friends and tell them, um, how long I'm going to stay in the country and um, uh, approximately where I'm going to, where I'm going to go. So it's, it's good mm-hmm. to know that someone has your rough rough itinerary. Of course, that itinerary can change easily, but I, th- I think it's good to, it's good to not- notify both embassy and, uh, and some of your friends or family if you prefer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is one of these tips installing a GPS chip in your body? <laughs> <laughs> not yet, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number six. So last two here
1: last two uh number six is uh my one of my favorites as well and uh that's generally to all of people who travel travel light it's uh it, especially when you're traveling dangerous places it's try to be as light as possible uh, so you'll be able to to pack your stuff within minutes if something happens and uh when you're moving around just have one backpack with all your stuff and as I said before, like make it blend in. Don't have this huge backpack with you know tags of every country that you've been to. Um, it's 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 better to, to keep it keep it light. Um, I mean, of course, you will have some electronics you want to take photos, but um, yeah, don't flash them and, and uh, have don't have too much stuff with you. It's uh, it's it's better to be able to to move move quickly and be able to to pack in short time. And uh, number seven, again, I think I've said for every every point that this one is the most important, but this one is definitely the most important, number seven. Uh, just remember why you're here, and uh, don't forget to enjoy your time. Like uh, Enjoy enjoy every minute, sink everything in. Um, I've heard stories of people that have been to, to dangerous countries, and um, one of my hosts in, in, in Kabul, he told me he got a... Got uh, a visitor that uh, just stayed inside his house for six days and didn't leave at all. And um, so he just stayed in in the same house for six days and went back to the airport, like sink in, explore, to, uh, meet the locals, go out, eat. Was that them. just to
0: say he was there? You're not really there if you Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> while well, you're there, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So. Just take a minute, to remember why you're uh, why you're doing this and uh and enjoy every minute of it and uh, and I try to uh try to have have fun and uh
0: I imagine there's a balance here with uh coming back to balance again, you know trying to balance like being paranoid about getting kidnapped or all of these things versus you know trusting people and and interacting and getting out there and having a good time, right I mean.
1: Absolutely, you know, and as, as we talked before, like uh, this balance—the balance of uh, of everything, you know—it's uh, it's easy to be afraid, and uh, but sometimes you, you have to realize where you are, and uh, and uh, if if you're doing it, you, you're it's because you love it, and uh, and then you got to let that overtake the fear. That they... Yeah.
0: Now, a quick word from our sponsors. Would you love to have an incredible? Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Let's get back to the show. Well, I'll recap these really quick. You got one, do your research. Two, go with your instinct. Three, keep a low profile. Four, contact, make contact on the ground. Five, notify someone, embassy, friends, family, or not your mom, depending on your philosophy. Six, uh, travel light, and seven. Don't forget to enjoy your time. And I had one bonus tip, I guess you could call it. Uh, not from me. I'm gonna ask you. How did you handle? How do you handle money?
1: Oh, that is very. That's very tricky. Um, especially when I was in this region, when I was going to all the stands and uh, and Iran at the same time. I knew it. I was going to be. In that region for, for a few months, so I had to bring a lot of cash with me because That's I knew scary. there was no way for me to to withdraw withdraw money. There were no ATMs that there, I could take. There
0: with are me. no ATMs in those countries. Is it no?
1: Uh, at that time, I don't know how it is now in Iran, but there was no way that uh, they would accept my um, my, my visa. Uh, same with um, Uzbekistan. Um, I think it was the same with Tajikistan. And uh, then Afghanistan was the same. So it was a few month period when I just had to calculate like, okay, I'm one month here, maybe one month here, a few weeks here, how much money do I need? And then I would have to either withdraw dollars or euros and, um, and keep it safe. And uh, so, yeah, that's something you have to have to plan ahead as well. Like how much money you need, because in, in some places it's, it's impossible for you to to withdraw money.
0: There must be somewhere some way to get money, right? No.
1: And from 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 your credit card?
0: Uh not in every place? No. No. I imagine some of the criminal elements, uh those folks out there that are like looking to rob people must be aware of the fact that travelers have to carry cash, right? Yes. I mean.
1: And that that's what I that's what I thought before I uh went to many of those countries uh that I thought okay, there's People must know that there are travels here that I can't withdraw money, and they are just carrying bunch of cash. So, I mean, I was trying to um, to separate my cash in different pockets here and there, but I don't know how, how effective that would have been. And um, it is risky. I mean, when you when you're in a place uh, where uh, your visa card is not accepted and you can't withdraw from your card, um, yeah, if, if you have any creative way to 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 keep your cash, um, yeah, please tell me, but. I, my part, I just, I just kept a bunch of cash and I had to try to keep it safe.
0: What was the most cash you had on mm-hmm. you at one time?
1: So I, I, try tried to, I tried to travel super, super cheap most of the time. And, uh, as I said, when I was in Pakistan for one month, I spent $400, Iran, I spent $400, so that's two months, uh, it's about 800 in, in total. Um, so I, th- I think it was four months all in all where I could not reach an ATM, and it was maybe a couple of thousand dollar that I had to bring. You so had me. a
0: couple thousand dollars cash when you arrived at that first place. That's that's stressful.
1: It is, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if
0: you lose it all, what are you gonna, what are you gonna do?
1: I mean, there's not much. You just have to uh, trust on kindness of other people or uh, <laughs> <laughs> find an embassy. Yeah. So uh, I, think, I think that's the only thing you can, you can do. But luckily, in, in those parts of the world, people are extremely friendly. And uh, I'm sure if I would be stranded with no cash, um, the local would take good care of me, for sure.
0: Yeah. All, right. All these things, what is the most adventurous thing you've done, in your opinion?
1: I really want to say the first thing I did, uh, because y- the first thing you do is always like the most exciting. So when I, when I went to live in... in in Kenya for one year, like nine hours away from Nairobi. I got malaria three times, you know, salmonella, I got worms, I just all the diseases that you can, can, can count. Um, and I was so young at the time, and this is what really shaped me to wanting to, to, to travel full time. So I think I will have to say that, living in, uh, in rural parts of, of Kenya and, and backpacking beginner alone um, back in 2010.
0: What has solo travel taught you about yourself?
1: Um, wow! Now it's been so long that I can't remember anymore. <laughs> solo traveling—it's—it uh, just made the person I am today. I guess you know. It's been uh, doing it now for for twelve years. So um, every every year is different. Every single year is different. Every six months is different. So I I, I hope that I, I change every year. I, I hope that I can. Can change to is better and uh, and and be a better person. And uh, being a solo travel gives you a lot of time with yourself. Gives you a lot of time to think. Um. So yeah, I think that's that's uh, what what gives me the most to be able to to spend time with myself and uh, and kind of re- reflect what what I'm doing and when.
0: How long have you had the tour company Crazy Puffin?
1: So I had uh, a tour company back in 2008 and 2000, 2018 and 19. And then I was running uh, uh, tours in the summertime in Iceland. So I was doing a five-day camping trip. And uh, then I wanted to, to step it up and do something more exciting. And uh, I had, had this idea for, for a long time to do tours in various parts of the world, a bit more extreme, all the tours that I, I'm offering uh, and Crazy Puffin. They are custom-made they're completely unique and no one else is doing it um, so the next year is the first year in operation for the new uh, for the new venture so I did I tours in Iceland for two years and uh, I just launched the company a couple of weeks ago I've been working on it now since December last year uh, launched a couple of uh, weeks ago and uh, the first trip starts in February next year
0: mm. have you filled it up?
1: No, but uh, booking is starting to come in uh, and uh, now um, I will take about 15 to 25 people in each trip and I'm very confident that uh, the trips will sell out pretty soon. Uh, Getting a lot of inquiries, uh, booking starting to come in. So if you uh, want to do some extreme traveling, do something different, go out of the ordinary, I recommend check out crazypuffin.com. Yeah uh, next year I'm offering tours to um, Mauritania that's the first tour where we spend 11 days in the Sahara we go visit a couple of uh, UNESCO heritage places we camp in the in the sand dunes uh, we hitchhike the the iron ore cargo train that goes from uh, the mining town down to the down to the harbor which is about 20 hours where we're going to hitchhike and stay on top of the the cargo train uh, then I had to cancel the Afghanistan trip, but that was uh, a pretty exciting trip. We were going to go to Bamiyan Mountain and, and ski and snowboard for 10 days and explore Kabul and Panjir Valley, but uh, that, that one is canceled. Um, then we have a Syria trip, which is 12 days, starting in Lebanon, and then we spent 10, 10 days in Syria. And Then in uh, September, we have a trip to um, Madagascar, where we do three days on a a river canoe, visiting national parks, wildlife exploring, and 14 days trekking in Pakistan in October. And in November, we have an adventure trip in North India, where we start the trip in Delhi. We go up to Rizakas. From there, we motorbike for three days to the border of Nepal. And from there, we switch to rafting and we river out for seven days down the river that separates Nepal and, uh, and India. And we just camp on the on the riverbends along the way. And then we end the, the tour with a tiger safari. And then we go back to, back to Delhi. That's 15
0: days. See, your safari experience is coming full circle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you're getting back to your roots. Being a guide and being on trips where you're responsible for people isn't the same as being on a trip for yourself. Plus the responsibility of having a company, what made you decide to kind of work on this and put your time into this instead of kind of keeping the, the, the sort of the same process going where you save money, travel on your own? Was it just, were you just like coming to a point where, okay, yeah, why the company? I
1: guess. Yeah, I, I felt like um I, I needed to to do something different. I had been traveling for myself for so long and uh, as much as I love it, I, I felt like I, I had to do something um different, new challenge new challenge. Um I wanted to to start a company and um and uh, work on something, build something, and uh it was kind of obvious it had to be in the, the, the tourism se- sector. So um after doing the trips in, in Iceland for two years, it was so much fun and I really loved it. But again, I was still running the same tour over and over again. And uh, I felt like I wanted to do something completely different. So uh, the model is like this. We we do new trips, different trips every year. So 2023 will be completely different trips, new adventure. And we film everything. So we make... Uh, I have a team in Sweden that uh, will take all the material and make um, documentaries out of the out of the journeys. So mm-hmm. everyone will have memories for a lifetime. They will be a part of the the documentary, part of the the travel videos. And um, I felt like it was a uh, it was a good step to try to combine uh, my travels and uh, and and create business around it's something I can build up because. I see. Uh, I see potentials to to do uh, big things with uh, with Crazy Puffin, and I continue to do some uh, really really exciting trips in the future. And combining combining it with uh, with filming and uh, and letting the the people that come on the trip to be a part of uh, of the journey and the, the the documentary.
0: Well, yeah. Good luck! Thanks for sharing the tips today and your story and. Hope things go well for you, man. I appreciate your time. Last question. Can you think about uh, what was one of your best days out on the road?
1: Best days out on the road, I I stopped for a couple of months uh, to live on an island in Cambodia. And when I got to that island, it was just like time stood still. I was there for almost four months and it was like nothing better than just to be there for those four months. And uh, I worked at a at a restaurant there, and everything was super laid back, um, simple, simple life. Living in a living in a, in a bungalow and uh, and just enjoying beach life and uh, being on an island for for four months with uh, with people that also lived on that island. We would get tourists that uh, that came to this island every. Every day was a new boat, so there was always something exciting, things happening. What then, island was it? It was called Koron. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, this is back in 2013, and at that time, it was just kind of newly discovered, so there was not there was not so much tourism going on. So it was mostly the, the people who lived on the island were uh, interacting with each other, plus the, the people who came with the boat every day. And uh, yeah, when I think back to to that time, it's uh, yeah, it always brings 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 joy.
0: That's nice. So, yeah, if you ever get stressed out, you can just close your eyes and put yourself back. Hundred percent, hundred
1: percent. Done it many times. Straight. So, down. yeah,
0: you were so uh, just dialed into just living the island life and being in the moment that those four months is kind of like all one day in four Pretty months, much. right? Just Absolutely. Like
1: a... <laughs> I just time stood still, and four months felt like uh, yeah, it, uh, it could have been one week. <laughs>
0: That's a beautiful thing, man. Well, thanks for your time. Yeah, again, I'll drop the links in the show notes and the, the company again is crazypuffin.com. And Bjorn, wish you the best of luck, man. Let me know if you come through Oslo, Norway. Love to uh, meet up and say hi in person. If you.
1: Thank you, you so much, Jason. I, uh, I, I, come, I come to Norway uh, frequently, so I'm sure okay. I will hit you up sooner than later.
0: Please let me know. Yeah. All right, take care. Thank you. Thank you to Bjorn for a wonderful conversation. I'm so excited I got to share that with you. And I hope you got a lot of value out of those seven expert tips and some food for thought along the way, I think, about getting uncomfortable, what that might mean, finding that balance that we talked about. That was another thing that really stood out to me. Because when you travel for many years, sometimes you might have a period of time where you settle down for a while and how do you kind of maintain that balance to leave yourself open to a life of continued travel, but also settle down enough where you can enjoy the place you are. And anybody who's traveled for many years may have found that situation or found themselves in that situation, I should say. And maybe that's you. Maybe if you're listening, you might find yourself in that situation later on. It's just a lot packed into this interview. I loved our chat and I hope you enjoyed it as well. Now, I want to give a shout out to somebody in this community who did something pretty cool. And she left me a voicemail and told me about it. So I'm going to play that for you right now.
2: Hi, Jason. My name is Jen and I wanted to share my story with you. Thanks so much for your podcast and all the stories that have inspired me to stick with it. Uh, my journey has been long. I've wanted to be a nomad for a while, but my healthcare industry job in person really didn't make that an option. So I made a long-term plan, get into grad school, pivot in my career. I now work in regulatory affairs for medical device and pharmaceuticals, and I work 100% remote now. Uh, after I went and you know put in my time and effort working at a few different companies, and one of them was a really big Fortune 500, gave me a lot of credibility. And now I have have some flexibility in negotiating my own terms. So I have my 100% remote job now, which I'm really excited. I'm six months in, and in the meantime, we've been converting a camper van uh, ProMaster into our own home on wheels, and we're about to take off in the next two to three weeks. It's been a lot of work. And we're really excited to see what life in the road is like, going to tour around the U.S., Canada, maybe South America, um, or we'll end up selling it depending on how we like the van or not. And then we're hoping to pop around different Airbnbs uh, in Europe once the pandemic slows down, hopefully, because I do a lot of work for uh, all around the world globally. Uh, So remote time zones, it's really not that big a deal. So we're really excited, curious to see how it goes and wish us the best of luck. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you, Jen. And I am
0: wishing you the best of luck. In fact, I'm sure we all are here in this community. I love when people leave me these voicemails and I get to hear the stories. So please, I encourage you to do that and share yours. And I just wanted to give Jen some props because what she said was, you know, she wanted to get out and travel and then she made a long term plan and then she executed on said plan. And now here she is planning this global adventure. And I think. If you are in a position where you you know maybe have bills and you just like working for somebody, you don't want to work for yourself or you want to continue working for somebody, why not find that remote job, right? Why not open it up? Why not at least explore it? I think that's a wonderful way to get out on the road to still know you're getting a paycheck if you're in that situation where you can't make a leap and work for yourself and you need to have that steady paycheck. Or again, maybe you like working for somebody else and I've worked for companies in the past and there's something to that as well. It's nice to just hang up your whatever at the end of the day, hang up your boots. Shit, Can I say that? I don't know if I've ever hung up my boots (laughs) and you know, just kind of be done with the job. And it sounds like Jen has figured out any time zone challenges and things like that. So of course, every situation is different But it's always lovely to share stories from this listening community. It inspires me. I hope it inspires you as well. And you can inspire somebody else in this community just by sharing your thoughts, tips, your story, whatever. Get in touch anytime. Again, you can leave me that voicemail. I have a link in all the show notes. Or you can send me an email, jason at zerototravel.com if you prefer. Good luck, Jen. Let me know when you come through town here and I would love to meet up with you. Good luck getting your van ready and all that good stuff. Now, let's talk a little bit about what Bjorn brought up. You heard the work he put in to become a safari guide and it seemed like something he really wanted to do and then he let it go even after investing his time into pursuing that. Not always an easy thing to do. And I don't know if I have the right answer here. When I say, is there a dream you have right now that you need to let go of or want to let go of? Does something come up for you? something pop into your mind? You know, sometimes just letting go of something is a wonderful thing to do. It can release tension, release a burden that we have. It can free us up to do other things. And really... I think that's what it comes down to, is checking in with yourself, with your intuition, with your gut, with whatever you want to call it, and kind of deciding, hey, is this something I still want? Because we change over time, right? And sometimes I think we get so caught up in pursuing something, we tend to lose track of the fact that maybe we don't want it as bad as we once did, and that's okay. You know It can be hard because once we invest time and or money, we think, well, we've gone this far. How are we going to let this go now, right? We've worked this long and hard. Why are we going to let this go now? But if by letting it go, you feel a sense of relief or a sense of whatever, a new sense of purpose or just a shift where it's like, ah, oh, you know, that feels good. I don't have to do that. Maybe I'll do this other thing. Well, then maybe it is time to let it go. In Bjorn's case, it was he just wanted to keep traveling. That was a stronger pull for him. So it was okay to let that other dream go. So just wanted to have a little quick dialogue around that because it is an important thing. You know, sometimes our dreams propel us forward and maybe sometimes our dreams can hold us back if there's something we shouldn't be pursuing anymore. So just something to think about as I pull a quote out of the quote drawer to get you out of here. I'm going to be a random one here let's see what we got okay this is from Paramananda who said concentration means wholeness unity equilibrium all our members and faculties must work in harmony in tranquility and balance there's that word again balance it's a quote for the day as i let you move on about your day thank you so much for spending your time with me for being a part of the zero to travel listening community you can get in touch anytime much love to you and yours and i'll see you next time peace and love
1: this podcast has been brought to you by zero to Travel.com. ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality